I was just thinking, like, you know, you ever get a pimple on your ass? It really bothers you. You, you, it's, it's worse than having one on your face. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> I got to think about that for a little bit. <laughs> Welcome to. Damn it, Jim, the podcast, your weekly adventure into the fun and fascinating world of Star Trek, the original series. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I am joined by my good friend and fellow Star Trek enthusiast, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad. Suffering through some issues, but uh, still fighting through to uh, bring the podcast to uh, all the millions of people that uh, are waiting to listen to it. You're, you're doing the Lord's work, Dana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's the way it's looked at, but uh, I'm doing work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gave blood today, so I might pass out during the podcast. Well, I could make it interesting. So I'll try to <laughs> keep it going if you drop off. So yeah, the person who drew my blood today, she was new. <laughs> I was a little nervous, Dana, a little nervous. Yeah, well, when they've got that big needle over your arm, and they're just kind of like shaking a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why you'd be nervous about that. Yeah, it went through and came out the other side. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. And they just put a bucket under your arm and said, you know, we'll collect here. That's what that's what it was. Just kind of squeeze on your arm a little bit. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. try to hit the bucket every now and then. No, actually, yeah. she did a good job. I don't know how many of our listeners give blood. If they don't and you're able to, you should. It's, it's really a good thing to do. Blood is always needed. They'll draw like a little mark on your arm when they find the vein that they want to stick. And... Uh, uh, she drew like three marks and <laughs> and then the supervisor came over and he's like yeah on the other woman that you jabbed in the other you know the one that we had to cart out on a stretcher you kind of missed the mark you went a little high and i'm thinking how do you like what what does this mean why are you saying this loud enough for me to even hear it oh you know they've got to go through like a, a lot of training before they even let them into those clinics yeah i think they train on each other you know so it's, these people come in they're like all drained out of blood and just you know <laughs> anyway she did a great job no no problems and uh i got my next one already scheduled in december you know we joke around about giving blood a little bit but really pretty painless easy to do you're in and out in like half hour 40 minutes at the most and they feed you they do today they even had sandwiches oh wow yeah i usually just get uh, like oatmeal raisin cookies and uh, orange juice or something you know so. i get the uh, mini oreos and i oh. always eat one bag there and then i take a bag and then <laughs> i mean i think it's okay to do that and then I get the little, uh, what are they, the Welch's fruit snacks? I like those too. Yeah, the place I go to has uh, the goldfish sometimes. Oh, those are uh, good, yeah. yeah. So I, I get those if they don't have oatmeal raisin cookies. Boy, I bet if they had Pop-Tarts, you'd be giving blood every week. I'd be there. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Pop-Tarts, in, in an episode, I don't know, like probably a year ago, we were talking about <laughs> Pop-Tarts and how much you like them. And then we just read this article that I sent you from the New York Times about this family that in like the 19, was it 1970s, 60s, 60s, maybe. Yeah, I think it was the 60s. They were like a Pop-Tart tester family. How do you get that job? I don't know. That was so cool. I think he said that his mom would like, they, they had a bunch of kids in the family and anytime she could sign up for stuff where they'd get free things, especially free food, his mom would do it and they would get like a brown box. None of them were marked. They'd get these brown boxes in the mail. Then they would eat them and there was like a score sheet. And so the parents would like ask the kids different questions about the Pop-Tarts and that'd be cool though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I've. 
I have written Kellogg's or whoever it is now like five times and asked them how I can be a taste tester for them. Because uh, <laughs> my wife would allow it if I was, you know, doing something good for sure. you know, for our company. Well, it'd be scientific too. I mean, you, you could be pushing the bounds of human knowledge, actually. Yeah, exactly. And and sugar consumption, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> you'd go to, you'd go to get blood, and they'd be like, "Well, there is some blood in there, but there's also like this filling, pop tart kind of filling. We're not really sure what's going on." Strawberry jam, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Anyway. Well, hey, Dan, last week we uh, talked about Return to Tomorrow. We did get a, a couple comments. We had uh, Brian Cavanaugh said one of his favorites. And Brian's been a, uh, a loyal listener for a long time. So throw him a bone on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't, I, won't, I won't say anything. I mean, hey, it's like Pop-Tarts. You know, some people like them, some people don't. And those that don't, there's got something wrong with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not this episode, though. If someone likes this episode, that's fine. I could see why somebody would like this episode. Well, maybe later you can tell me why, because I have no clue why someone would like it. I'm just trying to be nice. So, <laughs> uh, Jeff Brown said it would have been interesting to have Nimoy and Shatner switch roles in this one. Mm. You know, one of the things I was wondering about is why it had to be Kirk, Spock, and the Doctor. Why couldn't they just pick three crewmen? You know, because they just needed a body to be in for right. a while. They didn't necessarily need to be in. Kirk and Spock and the doctor. Yeah. Why didn't they just tell them that we're, you know, we're willing to help you, but we're going to give you these three red shirts because nothing yeah. ever goes bad. In fact, you can keep them if you want. Keep them. In fact, we got this Dr. Mabinga. He was a real ass a couple of weeks ago. So take him. And actually, now that we think about it, take McCoy too, because he's bugging me. Also, we got a comment from uh, our good friend, Pam McClung. And she threw out a joke I've seen before. It was uh, McCoy uh, saying to Kirk, time to work out. And, and Kirk says, where? And then it shows a picture of a gym that says, damn it, Jim. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I always like that. I've had several people send that to me. Yeah. And Pam sends us a lot of great messages. And so thanks, Pam, for sticking with us all this time. Yeah. And she's been a, a good proponent for, for us. She's told other people about us. But once again, appreciate all the help there. And those people have listened to the podcast. And then they question why they're friends with Pam. Because why would you listen to these two jokers? Hey, Dan, anything new with uh, William Shatner's toupee? Yeah. By the way, I, I made a mistake last week. It's only going to be up for bid until Saturday. Won't have enough time, I don't think, to do the GoFundMe. So if we've got a listener out there who wants to buy it for us, if you go to Heritage Auctions, you can find it. What do you think it's up to today, Dana? So I'm, I'm going to say $1,320. $2,100. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're probably going to miss out, though, Dana, on the hair piece, unless one of our wealthy listeners would like to purchase that don't forget this damn it gym podcast is sponsored by photo bucket photo bucket is an american company with over 100 million registered members and hosts over 10 billion images and dana you know there's a lot of star trek memorabilia out there on photo bucket you want to be sure your photos and videos are safe photo bucket gives you one secure place to store your photo and video memories it's easy to use and even easier to get started just go to photobucket.com and sign up and you'll be storing your photos in minutes Use the Damn It Gym promo code when you sign up and get one month of PhotoBucket for free. That's a great way to try out PhotoBucket. That's right, Dan. For a limited time, PhotoBucket is offering one terabyte of data to store all your Star Trek memories for just $5. PhotoBucket just gets better and better. 
It's season two, episode 21, Patterns of Force. We see the Enterprise as it passes by one planet and approaches another. On the bridge, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy discuss John Gill, who had once been a teacher of Kirk's. McCoy comments that they haven't heard from Gill and wonders if he would even receive them now. A ship is launched from the planet Ecos. Spock reports it is fairly primitive, reaction-powered, unmanned, and carrying a warhead. Uh-oh, that's never good. That's no way to say hello. No. So, uh, <laughs> so Kirk readies phasers as the ship is on an intercept course. As the rocket approaches closer, Kirk orders it destroyed. And uh, McCoy comments that they shouldn't have that type of weaponry. Kirk says, well, maybe they had help. The camera kind of focuses between Kirk and Spock and McCoy. And you can see the picture of John Gill in the background. Yeah, it's like projected on one of their screens above Spock's science station or something. Yeah. Kirk orders the ship to be moved out of range of the planet's detectors. McCoy says Gil must be dead, otherwise they'd be able to reach him. Spock says, according to our records, the Ecosians are primitive, warlike people in a state of anarchy. The other planet, Zeon, has a relatively high technology and its people are peaceful. Kirk says he and Spock will beam down to the planet to check things out. In the last episode, Kirk was like, yeah, no, we can't both go down together because something bad might happen and we can't risk both of us. Now he's just like, hey, let's just go together. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. If we were doing this in production order, Dana, instead of the order in which they were aired, maybe it would make more sense. Yeah, true. Maybe next time we do this, we can do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> he asked McCoy to give them a transporter shot under their skin in case they can't use their communicators. Next thing we see is Kirk and Spock dressed in garb fitting the planet, which is kind of, Kirk looks like he's in jeans and like a jean shirt and Spock's wearing like black pants and a he's uh, got a stocking cap covering his ears. Well, let's talk about this transponder for a second. I, I kind of thought that was a cool idea. However, why didn't they have, why didn't every like person in Starfleet already have one of these things? You know what I mean? Yeah. I know if they'd had it when I was a kid, my parents probably would not have gotten me one. So. <laughs> or they, they would have gotten you one, but like put in the wrong information. <laughs> so on the planet, Spock says the Ecosians are humanoid, so they will have similar architecture. Oh, sure. That that makes total sense. Yeah, <laughs> And I think they're saying it because they shot this like on the Paramount lot. I think the, the building that they use most frequently is like the Paramount main offices. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just then they see a man stumble and fall around the corner and the man tells them to hide. Kirk and Spock hide around a corner. They don't try to help the guy and watch as the man is set upon by three men in uniform. And the uniforms are Nazi uniforms, Dan. Yeah. Kind of shocking, actually. Yeah. Uh, the soldiers call the man a Zeon pig. They beat him up some and then take him away. Kirk and Spock comment on the Nazi uniforms, and then there is an announcement from the Fuhrer's headquarters. It says they have started purging the planet of Zeon people. And then they show clips on this monitor. It's basically World War II Germany. And then they show the Fuhrer, and it's John Gill. Again, shocking. Then they get stopped by a Nazi guard. And I don't know if you caught this, but it's the same guy from Landru who said, Your daddy can help them, can he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the same, he talked the same way. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was kind of fun to see that guy again. Yeah, I was kind of hoping he was going to be in it more. So they knock the guard out, and then uh, Spock changes into the guard uniform. And they don't get far when they're stopped by an officer. And the officer goes to take Kirk, and Spock says, does the Vulcan nerve pinch on him. And Spock uh, says, there's your uniform. And as Kirk starts to put the uniform on, he says, You should make a very convincing Nazi. So as they walk along, they run into another officer. And this place is just crawling with these Nazi guys. Yeah. He stops them because Spock did not salute. And Kirk says, uh, pointing to Spock, says he's a hero. And they try to extricate themselves from the conversation. Then the major says to Spock, you don't look so well. Your color is not so good. Then uh, the officer demands that Spock remove his helmet. Then uh, he does. And so you see the guards like, you know, move their guns in on him. And the next thing we see is we go to a scene where Kirk and Spock are shirtless and they're being whipped. So in this interrogation room, there's a major and he keeps questioning Kirk and Kirk says, you make it a rather one-sided conversation. And the major keeps pushing and asks, where did this alien come from? Referring to Spock. Then this other man comes in and stops the major and he is Chairman Enig, and uh, he's the chairman of the party. And Enig looks at Spock and says, you are not Zaya. And Spock replies, obviously. But they're getting whipped. I mean, they're, they've got like bloody marks on them. Kirk has uh, red marks and Spock has the appropriate green. Yeah. So Enig asks uh, Kirk about the weapons they found on them, and Kirk does not answer. Enig says they have not figured out how the weapons they brought work. Next thing that happens, they get locked up in a cell, and Kirk comments that Gil, for him to be a Nazi is just impossible. Uh, so the man who had uh, warned them earlier to hide, he's in the next cell and he asks who they are by pointing out that they are not Zeons. Spock asks, why do they hate Zeons? And the guy says, because without the Zeons, they have nothing to attack, nothing to hate. They built them up as a disease to be wiped out. So this guy says, we had our own wars before on Zeon, but they had come to help the Ecosians become more civilized. He says, they were not like this, not until the Nazi movement a few years ago. And then Spock says to Kirk, that coincides with John Gill's arrival. In a few years, they've gone from no space flight to space flight, no thermonuclear warheads to having the atomic bomb. I mean, was this guy also a freaking, you know, nuclear scientist who could just tell them how to build a bomb? I mean, wasn't that stretching it a bit? Yeah, it's. I kept thinking of uh, a private little war. I mean, did they were they these people hunting with bows and arrows before and got flintlocks and then all of a sudden jumped to nuclear weapons? Right. Because that's what it seemed. That's how they made it sound. Because they they refer to them as primitive, warlike, and primitive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, John Gill was an excellent teacher. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> The guy in the cell says, when they have destroyed us here, they'll attack our planet using the technology we gave them to destroy us. Kirk says they need to get their communicators back. He remembers the transponders in their arms and looks at the light bulb in the room. I was a little bit confused as to how this was going to play out. Mm -hmm. And then Spock seems to understand what uh, Kirk is getting at. And Spock says, the rubidium crystals. So Kirk goes to the cot and pulls back the mattress and starts pulling apart the supports, which are metal. They use the metal supports to get the transponders out of their arms. Like they're slicing their arm with this metal that probably is dirty. I mean, do they get tetanus shots in Starfleet, you think? I would think that'd be a regular thing for them, especially going to all these strange planets. So Spock takes one of the supports and kind of bends it into a U-shape. It looks like it's, he's going to make a salad tongs out of it or something. Ha, 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 ha. 
<laughs> I didn't think about that, but that's exactly what it looked like. He, he climbs up on Kirk's back and using the cot supports and the crystals from, uh, from their arms, he holds the part up by the light bulb and says, I can't be very exact with this. You realize that the aim will, of course, be very crude. I don't care if you hit the broadside of a barn. Just hurry, please. Captain, why should I aim at such a structure? And then uh, he creates like a laser beam. Sure. Makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, cuts the uh, lock in half. Spock exits the cell and then Kirk and they close the door behind him and Kirk calls for help. A guard comes and Spock does the Vulcan nerve pinch. The guy in the cell asks to come along and he wants to fight the Ecosians. He says they'll never find the SS lab if he doesn't go with them. So they finally decide to take him. Because that's where their communicators and weapons are, right? Yep. So the next thing we see is Kirk in the Nazi uniform walking down the hall with a gun drawn. They quite literally bump into a guard who is exiting the lab and Kirk takes the keys from him. Without the guy knowing it, right? Yeah, because that's one of the things they train you on in Starfleet is how to pick pockets. I think that's uh, year two. Yeah, that's that's in the curriculum for year two. Gil taught that. That's why he did such a great <laughs> job at it. So inside the room, they find the communicators dismantled, but they cannot find the phasers. We find out the man's name is Isaac and uh, he says the Zeons want to know who they are, uh, where they come from, but neither Kirk nor Spock answer. Isaac wants wants to get the get a car and escape the city but Kirk says they have to find John Gill so Kirk tells Spock to don the uniform and hide those ears they did find the communicators in pieces and they did take that with them yeah, because Spock thought he could perhaps put them back together. Next, we see a, a sewer lid open, and Isaac and Spock and Kirk go down inside the sewer hole. Uh, they come out in an area where a man is holding a gun on them, and Isaac says, it's okay, and then another man appears, and he goes and hugs Isaac, and he introduces him as Abram to Kirk and Spock, and Isaac says that they helped him escape. Isaac and Abram are brothers, right? Yes. So uh, Abram tells Isaac that Yulita is dead, and Isaac seems terribly affected by this, and he says she was to be his wife. And Abram says she lived on for five hours while people passed by and spat on her and did nothing to help her. And he says he cannot trust strangers, and they looks at Kirk and Spock. Well, and they're in Nazi uniforms, you know. Space is not just the final frontier. Actually, space, as in available memory, can be an annoying frontier. Photobucket can keep you from getting those phone-is-full messages when you're trying to take an important picture. The Photobucket app works its magic on Android and iOS phones. It automatically backs up every photo and video you take on your smartphone while syncing it all to your desktop, tablet, and other devices. Photobucket works with you to make sure you don't miss an important picture because you're out of storage. Right now, Photobucket bucket is offering one terabyte of storage for five dollars. Couple that with the auto backup feature and you'll have all the space you need. Photobucket has enough space for all those pictures and videos you want to save. Don't forget that Photobucket works with all your social media platforms and allows you to post, text, or email right from your files. Communication in this day and age is critical, Dan, and Photobucket makes it easier than ever. Communication is key, Dana. Do you think Spock can fix those communicators? So 
the next thing we see is Spock is reassembling a communicator. And just then a Nazi guard comes in, followed by a woman they had seen on one of the uh, image screens before. Abram tries to stop her and she shoots him. Then she points her gun at Kirk and says he is next. Something happens behind them and the woman is distracted and Kirk and Spock take her gun away. And Abram gets off the floor and says it was just a test to make sure that they were not working with the Nazis. And then Kirk says, we have to see the Fuhrer. And Darris says, there is an event tonight and the Fuhrer will speak. As an honored member of the party, she will be able to get, get them in. So we see a car pull up outside of the Nazi headquarters and Kirk gets out with the camera. Spock and Isaac get out and then another car pulls up and Darris gets out of that. And Kirk focuses the camera on her. They enter this uh, the building saying that they are making a documentary for the Fuhrer. Kirk, by the way, would not be a good director, and I think that gets worn out when Shatner tried to direct some of the Star Trek films. My my least favorite film is Star Trek V. Yeah, well, I think it's everyone's least favorite. So inside the building, Kirk continues acting like a director, and it's kind of funny because he's holding the camera so close to Darris that I mean, probably just see like her nose hairs, and so it's a... very very <laughs> odd. And Spock comments that he now understands the thrill of gambling. Captain, I'm beginning to understand why you Earthmen enjoy gambling. No matter how carefully one computes the odds of success, there is still a certain exhilaration in the risk. Very good, Spock. We may make a human of you yet. I hope not. Yeah, I mean, pretty good line there, don't you think? Yeah, I like that one. So they find the room where the party is going on, and there is a curtain window on one end, and Dara says that's where the Fuhrer will speak from. And they see a door down the hall with two guards in front of it. So they go down the hall, of course, Kirk kind of acting like the big director, and uh, distracts the guard. And Spock is able to look inside the window, and he's able to see John Gill. And Gill looks like he's just out of it. And he's unmoving and just bland looking like he's in a lost daze. Yeah, didn't even blink, I don't think. So they leave the guards and Spock reports what he saw. Kirk says they'll need bones to help them. They go into a cloakroom and call the Enterprise. Uhura answers. Kirk orders that McCoy come down as a Gestapo doctor, circa 1944 Germany, and make him a colonel. Kirk calls back up, says, what's taking so long on the Enterprise? And Uhura says McCoy is having problems with the uniform. And Kirk says, send him down naked if you have to, but send him down. Can you imagine that if they did? So McCoy appears and we see he is struggling to get his boot on. Then uh, it's kind of funny because Spock comes over and says the uh, the way to do it is to point your toe, <laughs> whatever. And he's like, tells him how to do it. And of course, McCoy is kind of grumpy about it. Yeah, kind of a smart-ass comment from Spock. Right after McCoy gets his boot on, the door opens, and Enig enters with two guards who are pointing machine guns at him. And Kirk says, grabs McCoy and says, the good doctor had too much to drink, and they were concerned he'd embarrass the Fuhrer. And Enig agrees, and then uh, Kyle looks at him and leaves. And Spock says he cannot believe that they were not recognized by Enig. Because he saw them down in the jail cell. Yeah. So in the party room, everyone is saluting the Fuhrer as he shows up on the T. TV screen. Kirk and McCoy realize that uh, his sentences are kind of random and not uh, logical, or they don't follow any logical pattern. Kind of like us on this podcast. <laughs> on, on our best days. <laughs> 
And McCoy says he looks drugged. So they go back down the hall to the guards. And of course, they make it look like they're filming. And then uh, Spock does the Vulcan nerve pinch on one of the guards, and Isaac uh, knocks out the other guard. Hold on, though, Dana. He barely touches him on the back of the neck. Here's a guy who doesn't believe in violence, never, probably never got in a fight in his life. And yet he knocks this guy out. You know, he's, he's a fast learner. <laughs> So meanwhile, in the party room, uh, this guy, Melikon, stands up and kind of keeps the rally going. He's kind of getting everybody fired up. In the studio room, McCoy administers a stimulant to Gil, but it has no effect. And Kirk orders him to give him another one. McCoy worries that without knowing what drug was originally administered, he could actually kill Gil. And Kirk says, go ahead. We've got no choice. McCoy says that he has given Gil as much as he dare. Kirk orders Spock to do a mind probe and try to wake Gil up. Spock says he has created a state with John Gill where he can answer questions but cannot initiate speech. Why does, does that work that way? Yeah, <laughs> I was curious myself how that works, but because uh, it's still speech. Right. It's still a speech, yeah. <laughs> Kirk goes to Gill and asks what happened. And Gill says the planet was fragmented, divided. And he took a lesson from Earth history. And Kirk asks, why Nazi Germany? Gill says most efficient state the Earth ever knew. Gill says it worked at first, then Melikon took over, drugged me. And Kirk pleads with him to tell the people to set things right, but Gill passes out. McCoy checks Gill and says he's still alive, but the drug they use is too strong. So more guards approach with Enig, and Kirk hands the machine gun to Darius and tells Spock to take his helmet off. Enig comes through, and Isaac says, once again, Darius is the hero of the fatherland, and she caught this spy. And Kirk insists that Spock be taken into Melikon. Enig agrees and he takes Spock out of the room with the guards and Isaac realizes that Enig is part of the underground. So Kirk stays in the room with Gil. Kirk slaps Gil and says, you've got to speak. Yeah, he did and the Gil... Mabinga on him, didn't he? <laughs> and it worked. Gil kind of perks up a little bit, shows a little bit of life. Yeah. We go back to the party room. So just then the viewer comes on and the Fuhrer speaks and you can actually, he's got, got moved one of the microphones aside so you can actually see his lips move. Yeah, because in the first speech you know, maybe it was all recorded. We don't know. But the microphones were in front of his face. We didn't see anything as far as movement of his lips. So he says, uh, listen to me. And Melnock says, the Fuhrer looks ill and sends guards to stop him. And Gil continues on. We were betrayed by a self-seeking adventurer who has led us all to the very brink of disaster. Gil goes on calling Melnock a traitor. And then Melnock grabs a machine gun from one of the guards and fires at the curtain window of the broadcast booth. Isaac shoots Melnock and Enig intervenes when a soldier points his weapon at Isaac. Enig says, wait, soldier, there's been enough killing. In the studio room, Gil is dying. He speaks to Kirk, saying he was wrong. The non-interference directive is the only way. He says, we must stop the slaughter. Kirk says, you did that, Professor. You told them in time. And Gil says, even historians fail to learn from history. They repeat the same mistakes. Let the killing end. And he dies. So Isaac, Spock, Darius, and Enig enter the room. Kirk tells him that Gil is dead. Isaac says, I prayed for this for so long. Now I'm sorry. 
Mm, yeah, I don't think that would be the case. So they go into the studio and Dara says, Enig and I will go on the air and offer a new way for our people, both Zeons and Ecosians. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy leave. Walking down the hall, Kirk says, Mr. Spock, I think the planet is in good hands. So they beam up to the Enterprise. Next thing we see is on the bridge much later. And Spock says, Captain, I will never understand humans. How could a man as brilliant and as of a mind as logical as John Gills have made such a fatal error? And Kirk says he drew the wrong conclusions from history. And McCoy says, what he's saying, Spock, is that a man who holds that much power, even with the best intentions, just can't resist the urge to play God. And Spock says, pretty sarcastically, thank you, doctor. I was able to gather the meaning. <laughs> and McCoy says, it also proves another Earth saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Darn clever, these Earthmen, wouldn't you say? And Spock says, yes, Earthmen like Ramses, Alexander, Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, Lee Kuhn, Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> Your whole Earth history is made up of men seeking absolute power. And McCoy says, Spock, you obviously don't understand. And Kirk interrupts and says, gentlemen, we've just been through one civil war. Let's not start another. And he says, Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit, warp factor two, and hurry. And it was, again, I think, once again, kind of this ending that was supposed to be a little humorous. I don't know if it quite fit the seriousness of the episode. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, was, it seemed just so tagged on. And that's how the show ends, Dan. <laughs> So, Dan, do you have any comments you want to make about this episode? Yeah, Dana, I'd like to talk about Nimoy's chest for a minute, if I could. <laughs> I, I knew you couldn't pass this up. Well, if you recall, when they are both shirtless, both he and Kirk, in the prison cell and they're getting whipped, it is very clear that Spock has hair on his chest and Kirk is completely shaven. Like he has a very smooth chest, right? Roddenberry had asked Leonard Nimoy to shave his chest for the episode. Nimoy is like, no, I'm not shaving my chest. And so that's why he had hair on his chest. <laughs> I guess that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Yeah, and you had mentioned earlier that this is the only episode where uh, Nimoy actually is shirtless. Yeah, apparently that's right. Yeah, so it wouldn't really make any sense to do a count. It is interesting to me that he just said no to Gene Roddenberry, and Gene Roddenberry's like, oh, okay, I guess he's not going to do it. Well, and the next thing I wanted to say about this episode kind of relates to that. So you remember Chairman Ennig. He was one of the head Nazis, but it turns out that he was actually part of the underground. Well, his name, Ennig, is Gene backwards. He's a Nazi. <laughs> what? How did the writer pull that one off? I mean, it probably said a lot about his feelings about Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, what about you, Dana? What things did you want to share with us? Well, Dan, uh, there's a comment in here about uh, Nazi Germany being the most efficient state that was ever known in Earth history. And I remember in high school, one of my teachers saying how, you know, Hitler brought Germany out of depression. I was reading about this, and this uh, notion, they say, is, is widely accepted after World War II, and even even at the time of this episode's original broadcast on American television, but it's now been largely discredited. The historian William L. Shirer has noted that uh, the Nazi hierarchy was actually a tangled web of hostile competition, with many of its high officials being bitterly opposed to each other. Consequently, their respective jurisdictions often overlapped and or collided. Hence, this conflict actually reduced or even in some cases completely negated governmental efficiency in Nazi Germany. Wow. Anyway, just something to think about. It's a, it fascinated me. <laughs> 
Dana, you have some information you want to share with us about one of the actors in this episode. The woman that played Daris was Valora Noland, and she showed up in several TV shows of the era, you know, Man from Uncle, Mannix, The Virginian. And uh, she also starred, or was, I shouldn't say starred, she also appeared in, several, in a couple of the uh, beach movies. Oh, yeah you know, beach blanket bingo and those types of things. Mm -hmm. And in 1967, she appeared in a John Wayne film. So uh, it seems like people either started in an Elvis movie or a John Wayne movie. But anyway, uh, she left acting shortly after completing uh, this role for Star Trek. Wow, was that traumatizing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she got offered Ilsa She-Wolf of the Beach Party and she was like, mm, <laughs> don't think so. Anyway, she went on to become a photographer and an author under the name of Valora Tree. So, Dan, do you have any themes, dilemmas for this episode? Yeah, I think the main question for me, Dana, is the following. Is an efficient totalitarian regime, even if it were to be benevolent, which it was not in this episode, but even if, if it were, would that be the best form of government? Or is it better to have free will, personal choice, and all the problems that come along with that form of government? What do you think? That's a good question. We've discussed it to some degree before, but I think that we need uh, and thrive off of free will. How about you? What about a dilemma for you? I wanted to take it back to the you know one of the main concepts of the show. It's, uh, it's a perfect demonstration of why the prime directive exists. Uh, even when trying to help a society grow and develop, the help actually proves quite harmful. Dana, what was one of the best parts of this episode for you? This might sound silly, but uh, I like that someone noticed Spock's skin color was different. Yeah, because, you know, in the in the first season, when you're watching the show, it doesn't look all that different. But in this episode, it seemed pretty stark to me, don't you think? Yeah, I think there's been other episodes where we see it more. But I think just because we're used to seeing him, we don't pay attention as much. But his, his skin always has a bit of a green tint to it. Right. And without the shirt, so. I think maybe it's even more obvious to too. Yeah. Although his nipples still look like human nipples. Maybe that's what he got from his mom. He got his mom's nipples. <laughs> can I put that in? I don't even know if I can put that in. <laughs> yeah, I don't see why not. So, Dan, what is the best part for you? I love the idea of alternative history. You brought this up a little while ago, but this isn't quite like the man in the high castle. You know, in that book, Germany and Japan win the war. They conquer the United States. So that's a little different. Like that is truly an alternative history. This isn't quite there, but I really liked it anyway. How about another best part for you? The idea that a good plan got out of hand and adopted the worst part of the plan. Working with people over the years, you know, it's, you, you explain something to them and say, you know, okay, we got to do this, this, and that. If we do this, it's going to go terribly wrong. And inevitably, somebody's going to do that thing that's going to make it ter go terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just seems uh, very realistic that this this could actually happen. Somebody would take it to an extreme. Dana, how about a worst part for you? I'm all for John Gill's speech, but uh, he makes one short speech and everything changes. I mean, that's just hard to believe. So how about a worst part for you, Dan? Exactly the same thing, Dana. How about another worst part, Dana? There's never really a reason given why the Zans were quote unquote bad and had to be destroyed. How about another worst part for you, Dan? Sulu and Chekhov aren't in the episode at all. I mean, Sulu just got brought back last week after a 10 week hiatus so he could go film some movie and then he's not even in this episode. Yeah, I think uh, in the order this was shot, I don't think he was available. Oh, so it's back to the production order versus the order in which they were aired debate. Yes, and we are doing it correctly. <laughs>
Dana, what happened on this date in history? Well, Dan, the number one song in the U.S. is still Love is Blue by Paul Marriott and his orchestra. And in the U.K., the number one song is still Manfred Mann's uh, Mighty Quinn. Also on this date, uh, February 16th, 1968, the world's first 911 emergency call was placed in Haleyville, Alabama by Alabama Speaker of the House Rankin Fight. What a name. <laughs> From the Haleyville City Hall, the call was routed by the operator to the city city's police station, where it was referred to U.S. Representative Tom Bevel. Well, what was the call? I mean, what was the emergency? I, I think they were just testing out the system. Government officials showing how, how they're on top of things. Georgia, though, that is so odd. Alabama, even odder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems like they'd be the one of the last places to adopt like some forward-looking kind of thing. Weird. I wonder what the first real 911 call was. Probably some, you know, stoner smoking dope ordering a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that, but just don't call 911. That's not good. So, Dan, on this date, the NBC television network announced that Star Trek, tentatively set for cancellation, would be renewed for a third season. Wow, that's big news. With the uh, decision having been made following a well-publicized letter-writing campaign, a voiceover at the close of that evening's episode informed the viewers and asked that no further mail be sent. Really? Yeah, and I had heard that actually once they renewed it, they even got more mail thanking them for renewing it. <laughs> <laughs> they had to call 911. <laughs> On uh, February 18th, the first snowboarding contest was held a couple years after the creation of the sport in which skiers ride a laminated wooden board in the same manner as a surfboard. Competition took place at the Muskegon State Park outside of Muskegon, Michigan. Also, uh, last but not least on this date, uh, February 18th, Molly Ringwald, American actress, was born in Roseville, California. Whenever I heard her name, like as, you know, being in a movie, I always thought a ringworm. It just was gross. Yeah, I, if I was sorry, I would have changed my name. Before we jump into the count stand, we want to once again thank our sponsor, PhotoBucket. PhotoBucket, where memories come alive, the go-to platform for all of your photo and video sharing needs. Since 2003, PhotoBucket has been safeguarding memories with backup cloud storage. We're talking over 17 billion photos and videos from around the world, all perfectly preserved while maintaining a carbon-neutral footprint because they love the planet as much as they love their customers. So whether you're a dedicated Trekkie or just discovering the wonders of the Star Trek universe, you are going to want to keep those memories for years to come. Every picture and video you take today is a memory you'll treasure tomorrow. That's something for PhotoBucket takes seriously, and what makes PhotoBucket different. Compression-free backup cloud storage means your pictures and videos won't lose quality over time. Sign up today and remember, use the code DAMAGEM for a free month of PhotoBucket when you sign up. Dan, you ready to jump into the counts? Yeah, it's going to be a little boring today, though, Dana, isn't it? Well, let's start uh, with the dead crewman count. Zip. So we're stuck at 44. The shirtless Kirk rip shirt Kirk count? We do get one. That was really good. And we kind of got a bonus with Spock also being shirtless, but we can't count that. So that brings us to 17. He's dead. No. So Dana, we're stuck at 14 on that one. How about I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank? Not someone who knows how to put a boot on, apparently. <laughs> Uh, no, no, we didn't get any, Dana. Uh, so we're still stuck at eight on that one, Dana. 
And the Supreme Being count. Nope, none of those either. Stuck at 10. Violation of the Prime Directive? The violation happened before the show opens, but I still think it counts. What do you think? I think it's got to be something that the Enterprise crew affects. So you're thinking no then? Correct. So I have zero for this. Well, if that's the case, Dana, I'll agree with you. Zero, and we are still stuck at eight. And finally, take over the Enterprise. Nope, nothing in that department either. So stuck at eight on that one as well. Well, Dan, as always, this has been a lot of fun. It's always great to get together with you and talk about one of these episodes. Do you want to tell us what's up uh, next week? Dana, next week is by any other name. I had fun talking about this week's episode. Yeah, so did I. I. I do like this episode a lot. Dana, before we go, I do want to let people know they can call us. The phone number is 509-676-6298. If you called us before, Call us again. If you've never called us, please do so. But it is great to get phone calls from our listeners, Dana, and also keep those emails and Facebook posts coming. All right, Dana, I had a great time tonight. Yeah, same here, Dan. Thanks for everything. Uh, Thanks for getting together with me and talking about Star Trek. Always a fun time. Until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, X, Instagram, or YouTube. You can also call the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the episode by any other name. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production. (laughs) 